All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Systems of Wealth podcast. I am your host, Noah Cromfly. Today, I am joined by a very special guest, an absolute Hall of Famer in the digital marketing and online business world. I've been fortunate enough to work closely with him and see how he operates. I've learned a ton. Uh, this is going to be a, a real treat to have him on today. It is the great Don Crowther. Don, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm not sure I put great in front of my <laughs> name, but but uh, but thank you. I really appreciate being here. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. From the jump, I really just, I wanted to say thank you, Juan, for taking the time to even talk with me today. But I was blown away the very first time that we got to meet when you talked at Perry Marshall's Roundtable when you were talking about content marketing. I mean, that was a part of my inspiration for starting this and doing this. Like, as a systems guy, as an operator, I've always been sort of behind the scenes in a lot of the projects that I've been on. And when we talked that day, it just gave me a lot of inspiration of like, wow, there's a lot of um, the way that I've always framed it is like there's hidden equity in my name as like a personal brand and how I position myself and like publish myself online. So that was like a big inspiration of that. And then obviously, we got to work closely on the SEO optimization for Find My Way Home. So I got to actually like see that and work with you closely. And something I really admire about you is just like you are very much in the trenches with like what you're working on, what you're thinking about, like the actual conclusions that you get to. And that's something that I really admire. And I think it's lost sometimes on people as like they, their success grows and sometimes they get a little bit removed from that. So yeah, I really admire that about you. And again, I just want to say thank you so much for being on today. It's a real treat. You're welcome. And by the way, let's let's address that for just a moment. Absolutely. One of the things I think is really, really important. I've watched people, as you just said, go through the process of they become big and they forget what it means to be small. Yeah. They forget more important, they forget who their customer is mm. and what their customer is really after and, and, and those basic things. And what ends up happening is over time, they start to make decisions that affect their customer based upon dated knowledge or mm. assumptions that they have no knowledge about. And so it's just so important to, to keep your brain and everything you're doing focused on your customer. If you were to take the, the, the wheel of business marketing's in the middle and then everything else surrounds that. Yeah. So I like that. And something I've been asking a lot of people is like, and this is something that we can talk about because I'm curious to like, that was one of the questions that I had that I wanted to prompt you is like consulting for like small sort of like solopreneurs, but having an experience talking with like big kind of fortune 500 companies. Like I want to explore that with you of just like similar similarities, differences, frameworks that you're using as you are like analyzing a company. I mean, we can get into that. And the other thing that I've been thinking about and asking a lot of people is like how people keep their finger on the pulse of like what's happening in their specific market, but also making strategic decisions as a high level for their business and pushing that forward. So that can be something that we talk about as well. Cause all right, looking yeah, forward. Fantastic. So the way that I always like to start these podcasts, and it's a question that I ask myself a lot or get asked a lot, and it's sometimes difficult for me to answer it. But when people ask you like what you do, like what do, what do you say is your official title when somebody asks you like, Oh, I'm like, what do you do for work? So I help small businesses make money online. I like it. Now, I know that that's not a very good, you know, a branding expert would go, no, 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 I hate that. <laughs> but here's what, what uh, the reason I say it that way is because that's literally what I do. Yeah, right. I come in and I say, here's where you are. Here are the opportunities that are there. If you were to truly start doing this online and I can help you get there. Mm. I help small businesses make money online. Yes. Okay. I like it. Very, very nice. 
And so like, that's the the path that I want to explore a little bit with you, just like setting a foundation, getting to that point, like now being in the position where you are doing that, like what, what was it? Like, where did your entrepreneurial spirit come from? Like, what was the first businesses that you got started? Like, why was it digital marketing and, and making, you know, making money online? Like, where did that come from? Where did that start? You know, what's the, what's the journey? Okay. So, so I think that there are some people who are just born entrepreneurs, right? Yeah. Right. The people who are selling things out of their backpack in grade school, <laughs> things like that. I literally started my first business at either 10 or 11 years wow. old. All right. And uh, I, I guess it was 11 because I was working on merit badges for scouting. Okay. I looked at it and I said, okay, there's all these merit badges. There's business manager, there's photography, there's marketing, uh, there's salesmanship. I think it was four different merit badges. And I said, how can I combine those? And by the way, it wasn't just me. My dad helped me get, get to this, okay? Of course, right. And so what, what we did is that I went around the neighborhood taking photographs of people's houses. Okay. And then I would go home, put them up into an archival quality, eight by 10 black and white picture. Cause you know, back in those days, you didn't do color. Right. Just to let you know, I'm old. And so, you know, this is long before Al Gore invented the internet and, and, you know, and we're, and we're ready to go. And so then I would go knock on people's door wearing my scouting uniform. And I would say, and I had this whole sales pitch I put together. You know, most people never have a good, high quality archival picture of their homes. Mm. Your kids are going to want to be able to see the place they grew up, even yep. though you're living in another house. I had this whole thing. And would you like to buy it? And then I think it was, I don't know, six bucks, five bucks, something like that. Right. And uh, the first day I went out and did that, I came home with like, I don't know, 10, 15 pictures that were unsold of someone else's house. What am I going to do with a picture of someone else's <laughs> house? So I talked to my dad and we came up with this line, which went like this. If they said no to buying a picture of their house, yeah, I would say, well, you know what? I have no use for a picture of your house. I'll just give it to you. And I'd take it out of the little frame and I'd hand it to them. <laughs> oh no 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 i can't and by the way i put on my best 11 uh, year old puppy dog face <laughs> and they would say oh no no, no i can't do that <laughs> and, and some of them would just buy it for the full price other uh, some people would just take it and say thank you and walk yeah, away right. <laughs> but other people said can i just at least give you what it cost you to create it and i'd say sure a dollar 14 how do you know that? Well, I'm working on my business management merit badge and I had to figure out all these. And so oh, I wow. had this whole spill down. And so for a 10 or 11 year, year old, I made $350 that summer, which is not only Whoa. huge for an 11 year old, but you yeah. take that, you do, you know, you take that to current value of money. That was, I probably made more money than I would have, if I would have, could have worked at minimum wage wow, doing that, that summer. Wow. So that's, that's what got me started. And I basically have run a business Ever since, even yeah. when I spent 10 years working for corporate American marketing positions, I still was running a business on the side. So okay. it's just part of who I am. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's really cool. So the, was that like the, the journey then was like in, in corporate America first before, I mean, I always like, I understand starting on the side. Cause that's kind of where I started too. like, I, I did it backwards almost in a sense where like I started the business and then I got like a full-time job and then I was like, oh, like this is 
you know, I'm, I'm giving 40 hours a week to this one client that's paying me, you know, 3K a month. And I had one client that I would spend an hour a week on making two grand a month and transition back into that. And that's kind of how I found myself back into the consulting world. So like, what was that corporate kind of, let's just okay. say like journey and then, yeah, getting back into kind of the online world. So, so I know it is not popular today to say, go to college. Yeah. I don't necessarily agree with that. Okay. I don't think you should go to college if you're going to go and and get $150,000 in student loan debt get, to get a liberal arts degree that no one wants to hire you for. Right, right. But I knew at 12 years old that I wanted to be in business management. I wanted to be in marketing. And the job mm. I wanted to have was brand manager. Okay. So brand managers, the people who run the things that you buy in the grocery stores, not the, not the produce and stuff like that, but the stuff with the label on it. Yes. Grocery store or a drugstore or a Kmart, Walmart, th those kinds of things. Okay. And I knew I wanted to do that. Why? Because that's the pinnacle of marketing. That's where the best marketing marketing people in the world go through mm. brand management and it teaches you advertising, promotion, distribution, manufacturing, all those things. Cause you're like the president of this little teeny tiny $500 million company, right? 25 years old, 22 years old. You're, you're like the president of this company. And Crazy. yes, there's people above you and there's people who serve you in different ways, but that's, you're the one who's in charge of that brand. Yes. That's what I wanted to do. And I knew that the road to get there was a bachelor's degree in marketing and an MBA. So okay. I went, got my bachelor's degree in marketing, then went to Darden School, at University of Virginia, got a got a degree, uh, an MBA from there. And then I went to Kimberly Clark, Conagra, SC Johnson Wax over a period of the next 10 years, worked with some of the best marketing people in the world, some of the best ad agencies in the world. Mm -hmm. And I, the reason I did all that, knowing that I would be running my own company someday, okay. is that I wanted marketing chops. Yes. I wanted to learn to think and yeah. act like the best marketers in the world. Right. And that was my paying the price. That was the mm. minor leagues for the for for baseball so that I could get into the major leagues of running mm. my own company. Even though it was technically I was in the major leagues already, of course. but they viewed it as you're going to going to stay in this for the rest of your life and be right. working as a vice president or CEO someday of a, a packaged goods marketing company. I looked at it and said, this is my minor leagues to prepare me to be able to go and work with clients oh, wow. and work with companies at the highest level in the world. Wow. I love that. And like almost to harp on it a little bit, like I know, you know, going to college gets poo-pooed and almost like working a nine to five sometimes in sort of society gets poo-pooed is like when you're like the being your own boss sort of gets overhyped, right? Like you being an entrepreneur, we, we see the both sides of it. But like I've always said, and I've said it on this podcast that the first job that I worked when I was from 20 to 22, like, and doing that 40 hours a week, like that gave me a playground to like hone my skills. It gave me like real, um, result or being tied to real results. Like I was, you know, I had actual things that I was responsible for. It gave me, it, it helped me elevate just who I was professionally. And like, I wouldn't have been able to get those amount of reps without that type of, you know, environment. So I'm 100% aligned with that as well. And I love that answer. I love that. And, and let me just jump in and, and yeah, just bring of course, one please. other thing that I learned the first year. Yeah. I, had a, I had an amazing boss my, my first year who would do things like he would come by and he goes, what are you still doing here? Go home. <laughs> and I'd say, I, I'll be out in five minutes. No, 
I'm going to stand here until you put your jacket on and I'm going to walk out <laughs> to the car with you. I want you to go home. And 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 in the package goods marketing world where people traditionally work 12 to 15 hour days, yeah. six to seven days a week, yeah. that was such a powerful effect. Wow. But one day I was talking to him and I said, I said, tell me about what makes the best marketers and managers in the world. And he said, Don, the thing you need to understand and everybody needs to understand is that the further you get in these big companies, the less time you spend actually doing anything. Yeah. You spend your life in meetings making decisions. Right. And he said, that right there is mm. what makes the best marketers and the best managers is they learn how to make the right decisions. Mm. And the beautiful thing was this was year one of my career. And so I was able to spend the next nine years sitting in meetings, you know, and, and here's a boss. He's making a decision on somebody else's business. So I don't even have to be paying attention. I'm paying the total attention, not on, not to the decision he's making, but I'm paying attention to how he's making that decision. Yeah. What's the thought process he's going through? And I'm trying to like reverse engineer and I'm sitting there with little diagrams on my paper and things <laughs> like that, trying to go through what he's going through to make those decisions. Right. And I got to tell you, as you said, that, that putting in the reps, not only in marketing, but how to make good decisions mm -hmm. has paid off huge. Wow. That's great. I love that. Yeah. I want to get into like the decision frameworks and how you can, because that is everything of like how you are analyzing same sort of deal, right? Like a small business to a fortune 500 company at that point, like it is your decision-making and as marketers, like that's what we are tasked to do. But I, I want to ask you, like, how do you define marketing? How do you define that term? Like in your, in your own words? Okay. To me, marketing is identifying consumer needs and how to deliver them mm. to them. So the piece that that I add to that equation, so everybody talks about uh, fulfilling consumer needs. I put in identifying because that's really the core of marketing. This comes right. back to what we started off with. Your job is to know everything you possibly can about your customer hmm. so that you know what they're thinking, you know what they're struggling with and all those things. So of all the marketers that I worked with, and I worked with many of them, I spent more hours behind two-way mirrors listening to human beings talk about our products and their needs than anybody. Yes. So I spent probably double the the budget on research that everyone else did. Why? Because I needed to know that. And but that that additional knowledge gave me a leg up on everyone else. Of course. Right. And my competitors especially. So if I know more about mm. my customer than my competitor does, I can watch my competitors make moves and go, that was stupid. Or, <laughs> that was brilliant. Yes. And then I can go and act accordingly. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I mean, uh, a mutual um, associate of ours, Rob Kepke, he took a, a copywriting course and we were talking about it. And he was like, so much of that copywriting they talked about was like, it's like doing surveys of customers and then just reworking the feedback that they gave and then just like presenting it essentially that way. And it was oh, just like- People love to see their own language show yeah, up on sales right. pages and things like that. Brilliant. <laughs> right. Love right. it. That's so funny. That's great. Okay. So then your transition from like the nine, 10 years that you spent in the corporate world back into sort of like what you always knew, your major leagues, like stepping into that and starting sort of your own business. Like what was that business and what was that transition like for you? Okay. Painful. Yeah. Uh, 
so <laughs> thank you for bringing up that. No, actually, it wasn't. It wasn't bad, but it was. It was hard. It was course, hard. Of course. So I left corporate America. I had developed uh, a real talent in new products during okay. this period of time. So this focus on looking at looking at people's needs really helped me in doing new products. And not just new products, but visionary new products, stuff that no one has ever thought of. That's what that's what I was specialized in. And uh, I went out thinking I was going to start a company providing that service for other big name marketing companies. Yeah. Well, I very quickly discovered that that service is needed, but the people who hire people who do that are the people two levels above where I was. Okay. My product problem was my contacts in the industry were all at my level, of course. not the vice president level. And they're the ones who hire because their people aren't getting there. And so then they say, my people aren't getting there, so I'm going to hire. The people at my level are the people who are failing. So they don't <laughs> want to hire somebody because that's an admission of failure. <laughs> yeah. And right. what quickly became apparent was, man, what I thought I was going to do, I wasn't going to be able to do because uh -huh. I just could not get even to be able to present a marketing presentation to anybody. Right. Well, it happened to be that Al Gore did invent the internet right, right around that period of time. Okay. And so I and I hope everyone gets that's a joke, okay? <laughs> I hope people don't say, he didn't invent the internet. Okay, I know that. Okay, yeah. all right. Uh, and, and, the, and the internet was just coming along and I started playing with it <laughs> and it's like, oh, this thing works the way my brain works. Uh -huh. Yeah. I can do... By immersing myself in that, taking the skills I developed to figure out how my customers work, I can use it to figure out how the internet works yes. and be able to do things. And so in those days, they had things like Alta Vista, search engines for those of you who are not even <laughs> born when that existed. It was a great little search engine because one of the things you could do is you could go make a change on your webpage and the next day you could see your rankings uh -huh. increase or decrease. Yeah. And so I just sat there and iterated until I'm like number one in the world. Right. For like a whole batch of keywords. And it's like, this is cool. <laughs> and so then I started working with, I live in Wisconsin. There's all kinds of little manufacturers around me, you know, 100 million, 2 million, those kinds of size and revenue size. And so I just started going to them and saying, hey, I learned how to do this. And this is back in the days when building a web page was like this magical skill that no one had because what we was the medium have... before this like how like when you were working in your corporate job like what was the medium for actually like tv advertising TV. and that interruption tv yeah right exactly yeah. so now and so literally i am i am putting the word out on the street i'm making presentations to start with there's this thing called the internet let me tell <laughs> you how it works oh i've heard of that but i never tried it well let me show you and i do you know and and so i go through that process and and i get phone calls uh, one day i got a phone call from a lady she said uh can you help me with my website and i said sure to give, give me your give me your url and two minutes later, I said, absolutely, I can help you. And she said, why are you saying that? And I said, because we've been waiting for two minutes and your website still is not loaded. <laughs> you know, she had this humongous front Goodness. picture for the front page. And it was like, and these are 19 bod modems and, you know, that kind of, it's like, it, so, so I just sort of came in and literally three months later, she made $250,000 that month from her website. Every month after that, she made a quarter, she made 250,000. And it's Whoa. like, now all she does is 
hey, do you know about this thing called the internet? I got a guy, he's making me a quarter of a million dollars yeah. a month from it. Right. And I didn't have to market anymore. All I had to do is walk in and tell people how to do things. And then eventually it got to the point where everybody had a grandson who could build him a website for 495 because he learned how in, how to, in high school. So I moved <laughs> from creating websites to marketing websites. Okay. And about that time, this little place called Google that no yes. one had ever heard of came up and they they totally fouled up our how to get to the top of the search engines <laughs> methodology. But they also had this thing called advertising. Yeah. And I looked at that and I and I started, you know, I had a couple of clients who needed it. So I started looking and it's like, man, there is no information out here on how to do this. Literally, it's go in there and experiment and see if you can make it work. So I sat down and wrote a book from what I did. So here's what I did. I took that book. It was a 197-page book. Guess what I sold it for, Noah? Hmm. How much? Paper's expensive, $197. <laughs> so here's the, you know, books are what, 15, 20 bucks Something about like at that, that time yeah. in, the, in the store. And so I was selling this $200 course. I literally would go down to Kinko's and have them print this thing up. Uh, I have stacks awesome. of them in my living room. I Do you still have it? Box, You've got to still have it, out. right? It's somewhere around this place. That's but, so great. Um, it, uh, I made $650,000 selling that book across. No. Dude, what? Over what time period? Like what time frame? Three years. Wow, Don. And uh, my biggest competitor happened to be Perry Marshall, where you originally met me, who wrote his right. same book about the same time. And I did yep. and sold his book for $197 too. And yep. he was my biggest affiliate. That's when I learned how so there's funny. no such thing as a competitor. There's just an there's a partner who hasn't mm. figured it out yet. And uh, wow. you know, it, it, I, it got me on stages. Now I was teaching people how to do this stuff and everything. My problem is I get bored. <laughs> I can't just do Google advertising for, for the rest of my life. I was yeah, doing right. an ad agency and stuff. And I was like, man, I'm just tired of this. And so I started going off and doing other things and, uh, it, it was fine. And then along came a little bit later, social media, and no one had created a course about social media. Just the same thing. I, I I'm sitting there going, my clients need it. I don't know how to do it. No one's doing it. Maybe I should go figure out how to do it. Mm -hmm. And so I created a course on it and that course did $8 million across three years in sales. And it's like, okay. You know, you, you just go figure out holes in the market and you fill them. Yes. Right. A lot of people are saying, how do I use social media to build my business? Well, here's the course. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> and off we go. And identifying a need. Yeah. What was like the, the, like when that course came out, what were the social media platforms? Well, um, my space was just starting to die. Okay. In fact, one of the first things I did, if I remember right, it was in the second module of the course. I said, don't worry about MySpace. It's going to be dead within the year. Mm. And Facebook was just barely starting. So we were just getting into what we consider to be the social media of today. Okay. And by the way, the reason why I said that MySpace was going to die is because here I had my MySpace account and they know I'm married. Because in the in the thing you have to fill out to get a MySpace account, you indicate your age and, and your marital status. Yeah. And every day, all I saw in MySpace were ads for dating services. Now, mm. I, it's like, guys, 
This is elementary data science. They said they're married. You may not want to just give them those ads because, well, hopefully they're not clicking on them. Yeah, right. And I said, listen, if they're that stupid that they haven't gotten that yet, they're not going to do well. And mm. sure enough, over the next 10 months, you just watch it go, just wow. nose dive. Wow, that's really interesting. That And again, that, but if you think about it, that goes back to the consumer knowledge. Yeah. You know, I look at it and as a consumer, it's like they're showing me ads all over the place all the time that don't apply to me. Of course. You should be able to figure that out. They're going to fail. And mm. sure enough, they did. They did. That that course that did that eight million in three years, like what was your funnel for that? Like were you like what were you selling the course at? What what did that like sort of $1, model? $1,997. Okay. It was a launch model, a Jeff Walker product yes. launch formula kind of, of launch model. Yep. And then after that, we had a uh, we had a membership site for all, you had to have gone through the course to be part of the membership site that was $197 a month. So another okay. $2,400 for the year. 80% mm -hmm. of everybody signed up for the course signed up for that, for that $197 because of the way I had it structured. And it it, it, it was real, it just it worked like crazy. And what was like your infrastructure of like your team at that time? Like it was you know you and like how how many other people were on your team? So I did a partnership with Andy Jenkins of a company called Stompernet to okay. do that launch. Yep. Okay. Yep. So um, my so it was me producing the content. They put it on. They put it in the course the course portal. They did the emailing that all that kind of stuff originally for the first version of it. Then versions two through four of that were me, myself, and a couple of outsourcers working okay. on the product on the project. Got it. Goodness gracious. Okay, so then that course goes absolutely gangbusters. Obviously. <laughs> What is, what's like next step in your world? You're like, I'm crushing this, obviously. Like what's, where do you go from there? So from there, I went, I did a lot of coaching and consulting okay. and uh, a lot of launching other people's products and yeah. things like that. And so that became the business model after that. What I discovered in this process is number one, I love the process of figuring out and teaching people how to do things, yeah. but I also love the hands-on process of helping them build it because right. most people it's like they don't really want to learn from a course they want someone to do it for them of course or right. at least show them how to do it right and that became a really good and it's like i discovered i actually somewhat am naturally good at that and hmm. so it that became my business model okay very very cool so that let's talk about that like launching a product you know leveraging different skills like what what in your experience now at this point like what are kind of the foundational things that people need to be aware of from like a digital marketing sort of perspective, like what those skills are, like what's sort of like a almost laundry list that you take somebody through when you are preparing for a launch of a product like that. Okay. Number one, and I know this is going to sound like we've talked about this before because we have, you got to find, figure out who your customer is and what they really want. It's amazing how many people skip that step though, Don. Yeah. And the problem is that what do people do is they buy into this I, I don't know where this thing came from, which says, find your passion. You go after your passion. You'll always be successful. Right. No, <laughs> you won't be. I can virtually guarantee that if your passion is not something people want to want, want to buy, no one's going to buy it. Right. <laughs> and it's like, I don't care how much 
how many views Steve Jobs got on his graduation speech saying, go pursue your passion. It's like, no, it's a stupid idea. Hmm. You don't start with your passion. You go find out what people want that are related to something that you feel like you can do. Yes. And then go become an expert in that. Or there are things you already are a bit of an expert in. You may not be the world's expert. And then you offer that. In other words, your foundation, once again, is the customer. What do they want? Hmm. And then what can I give that everyone else is not giving that will help them to do that? Notice. I created a book on Google when no one else was teaching how to do Google mm. advertising. I created a course about how to build your business using social media when nobody else in the world was teaching that. Okay. Mm. That's the core is to find the hole of stuff that people want to know about and then fill that hole. Right. And so people say, well, well, well what about your passion part? And it's like, if your passion is serving your customers, then you can be just as happy. Remember, when I worked for Kimberly Clark, I was the brand manager of Depends, diapers for adults. <laughs> right. How does one become <laughs> passionate about diapers for adults? Okay, right, right. But what I discovered was I was passionate about serving this group of people mm. who were dealing with some major issues in their life. Right. And that job never really comes to an end, right? Like that is just, that's it. That, that is the goal at that point. It's just being passionate about that. Right. And actually, let me tell you a story. Um, one of the challenges of uh, when you start to become incontinent, and I know that some people are uncomfortable with this, but it's like, this was mm -hmm. my life for three years. Yeah. And so so I'm, I'm fine talking about it. Yeah, please. Is that you feel all alone. Because many times what ends up happening is you withdraw to your home because you don't want to have an accident in front of somebody. And so you're very lonely. And so what I did is... And it's not just me. I had a team. I had an agent, ad agency. So it's, you know, don't, don't make, I don't want this to sound like I did this. Okay. Right. We created a magazine. Okay. About living with incontinence. Mm. The very first issue, the cover issue said how to not have to buy adult diapers. Wow. Because one of the things that happens is for most people who are incontinent, it can be almost eliminated by changing your blood pressure medication. Oh, interesting. Now you will be back because your body has a weakness in that area. Mm -hmm. And in a couple of years, you'll be back needing incontinence products. So, but what it does is when you send that out and you tell everybody, here's how not to buy my product. Think about what that does to those people. Now, all of a sudden, they're saving $1,000 to $2,000 a year. Mm. And three years from now, when they drop back into it, who do they come back to? Hmm. Who, where is their loyalty? Yeah, where's the trust? So we sent out this magazine, 16-page magazine. It was a lot wow. of fun creating it and everything. And, yeah. and, and one day, about two weeks later, I come back to my office and the entire department, all the marketers in the department are gathered around my door. And it's like, am I getting fired? <laughs> and I, I, my, my, at the time, we called them as secretaries. My secretary said, come in, sit down at your desk. We want to show you something. And they walked in with two big cloth bags with a zipper at the top. They unzipped it and poured out on my desk letters. Oh, wow. I got over a thousand thank you letters from my customers thanking Jeez. me for sending them a magazine. 
Why? Because that magazine allowed them to, number one, some of them stopped using the product, but most of them gave them a community, gave mm. them a knowledge that they're not alone, gave them an assurance of how to care for their bodies in a different way. All kinds of amazing things came wow. out of this because we had figured out this is what these people need and no one's giving it to them. Well, wow. let's send them this. Yes. And the other beautiful thing at the end of all this is we built this mailing list, this physical snail mail mailing list. <laughs> yeah, right. That when I could send out a coupon. So when I would send out a coupon in the Sunday paper, you know, do you remember what a Sunday newspaper was like? <laughs> yeah. When you would open up the Sunday newspaper, these coupons <laughs> would fall out in your lap. Yes, Those right. are called FSIs, freestanding inserts. And okay. they would on average get about 1.5%, no, 0.15% uh, redemption. And most of that was the mob What? who had wow. this thing. So every one of them would get, would send it out to 200 million households and we'd get, you know, back whatever it is, 2,000, 3,000 yeah. uh, redeemed coupons. And I'm probably slipping my digits somewhere in there. But <laughs> what I had was I now had this email list of people who opened everything that we physically send them. Yep. And redeem those coupons because I've Jeez. been doing database marketing all along. I know exactly who they are. I know exactly what products they're buying. I know exactly how how bad their problem is, how many they're using. And so I'm sending different coupons out to every single person mm. based upon their purchase rate. And I was getting 97% redemption rate <laughs> on the coupons that I'm sending Ew. out. What? So here my competitor is Procter & Gamble, who has never failed a market at that point. Well, actually, I'll, that's probably an overstatement. Procter <laughs> & Gamble, who is really, 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 really good at marketing, and, don't, and they don't fail. Of course. And we were driving them out of the market. They closed down their retail income. No way. Because of the things that we did. They just went into hospitals. They closed down, took it all off the shelf. Wow. Okay. That's... What happens? And by the way, here's what here's what ends up. Okay, I, I'm sorry. I'm telling way too many stories. I, this is stop? what this is all about. No, give them all. This is so. Hey, I'm going to tell you one more so story. Please, please. So the I'm minute that my aunts, so my mom is the is one of eight children, seven of them daughters, most of them who were coming into early incontinence at this point point in their lives. Okay. And, yep. Just so you know, most people will have some incontinence at some point in their life. Yeah. Yep. All right. When they heard out heard that I was the grand manager of Depends, they are calling me. <laughs> Ants that I had not talked to on the phone ever in my life are calling me. Hey, can you get me some for free? And, and we start talking, and I start finding out that they leak a little, but not enough to need an adult diaper. Okay. What would solve that? Well, what I really like is like a feminine pad, like a, you know, like a Kotex pad kind of thing. Yeah. That's designed for urine. Because the mm -hmm. problem is those pads are not designed for urine. It just literally runs right off of them. And so I mm. was listening to these customers and I, so then I started going out to other customers and asking them that question. They keep coming back. And I said, why are we not doing this? Mm. And I went through this entire process of going through the company and trying to get the company to allow me to do this. No one will let me do it. No one will even listen to my research. They're saying, this is a brilliant idea. Somebody should do it, but not, not our department. And finally, I just made, I, I had a boss come to me and say, Don, you're going to get fired. You're making too big of a deal <laughs> of this thing. And so I ended up 
they finally put me on the pen brand and and I said, can I do this? And they said, no. And I said, can I f- figure out a way to do this anyway? And they finally said, yes. And so we had this little, this little skunk works project going on in the background and we right. created these things. And I got to tell you, we launched it. It's called poise. Okay. If you go into the drugstore, walk down that aisle. I know you're 26. You don't walk down that aisle, walk down that aisle. Look, you'll see this brand called poise. Okay. It's beautiful. It's now over a $900 million product. <laughs> it all came from these conversations with ants that then turned into conversations Jeez. with other customers that then turned into a skunk works that wasn't even funded to make happen. Yeah, we were right. taking like rounding errors and budgets and pulling it off to go do research projects Man. and stuff like that. Stealing time at midnight on Christmas Eve to run the first set of products down the line in North in a, in our, in our, uh, facility in South Carolina and getting that first skunk works project, sending out to customers and getting huge results coming back for them saying, we love this Where can we get more. Yeah. And it's like, you, you just keep that process going. And it's like, th- this is how it's done. Wow. You listen, you resolve, you figure out how to do it. And then everyone wants it. Yes. It. Right. So wow. the biggest mistake that most wow. people make is that they try to do what they want to do, not what their customers want to do. Yeah. That's your core. Wow. Yeah, it's like, it's they come from almost, a, it's very selfish is really what it is. Yeah. Jeez. Man, I'm, I'm blown away by that story. It's just wild that like, from something like listening to your customer, but then not even like, nah, this is like, we don't, we're not going to do this. Why are you, why are you spending your time? Why are you focusing on this? And it turns out almost a billion dollar company goodness that seriously floored me <laughs> this is that's so crazy goodness okay goodness okay let's um so when i first when we first met when i was first learning from you and listening to you the, the talk that you gave at perry marshall roundtable was very um content marketing specifically talking about content marketing so obviously that is a a significant aspect in a lot of people's online businesses at this point I know you you're using it very, you know, specifically for your business at this point. Like you how do how what are your suggestions thoughts on people using that as a you know, a solid strategy for how they position themselves just digitally online nowadays. Okay. So the huge opportunity there is if you're ranked number one, two, or three from in Google for ser- terms that people are searching on, you're getting a ton of traffic. Of course. Okay? Yeah. The challenge of that is that unlike AltaVista, remember way back when I told you about AltaVista <laughs> where you can make a change and see it and see it reflected tomorrow morning? Right. That's no longer the way it works. Right. What ends up happening is you're going to see results from work that you do in the content arena six months to a year from now. Yep. And so what you have to do is you have to say, this is an investment in my future. Mm. I am going to, in, I'm going to continually invest in it. I'm not going to mm. give up on it. I'm going to study to learn how to do it well. And so that the stuff I'm doing is well done. And eventually what it'll end up, end up happening is you'll be in those positions where you're getting all kinds of free traffic and amazing things are happening in your business. Right. The challenge is everybody wants instant results. Yes. 
And there are some things that you can do to get faster results, but in, what ends up happening is you're cheating, you're buying links, you're doing things like that. And when the search engines find out about it, they will slap you hard. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes useless. Right. It's, it's, it's just like this. I was a miler back in junior high school and high mm-hmm. school and early high school. Yep. You don't become a miler overnight. Right. You become a miler by going out and running five miles, 10 miles every single day. Yep. And eventually you start doing wind sprints. And so there's a whole set of tactics. It takes a year, two years to start running a mile sub five minutes. Right. And so at first you're saying, I'm running a six and a half minute mile. What in the world am I doing doing this? But two years later, now you're running a 450 mile and all of a sudden things are starting to get interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with content marketing. Hmm. It's funny. That was immediately where my mind went to was like being an athlete growing up or lifting weights in the gym. Like it's not going in there and bench pressing one time and being like, why isn't my chest growing? It's doing it for six to 12 months and not even thinking twice about it. And then gradually, and then all of a sudden you look at yourself in the mirror one day and you're like, man, I'm making some serious progress here. And that's when things start to get fun. That's really interesting. That's It almost goes back to what you were saying earlier of like the decision frameworks to have in your mind that like on a more like macro kind of scale to identify certain, you know, just like the way to think almost. Can we, let's talk about that. Like, how do you think Don? Like what are the frameworks that you use to like think at such a high level? Like I want to really explore like how you are, like your decision criteria for some of these things and just like thinking the way that you do. Wow. That's a tough question to answer because it's literally different in every single situation, but here's what ends up happening. Um, your brain is a giant file cabinet. Remember those old things? File cabinet? <laughs> Certainly. I used to help and, my mom at her, got, at her office all the time. <laughs> it, it's full of folders. Yeah. And the problem is that most of the stuff that goes into your brain gets put in folders that don't have any labels on the outside. It's like file mm. name of bg462.jpg yeah. you know Unknown. Like, what right. is this thing right, right. and you'll never find it again okay <laughs> yeah well that's what happens in your brain your brain sucks everything and puts it in there in unlabeled file folders hmm. the process that you have so your conscious brain is the processor that goes out to the hard drive to try to get this information What you have to do is you have to train your conscious brain to put labels on that folder as it goes into your brain. Hmm. And that's literally a long-term process. That's another thing that's coming out (laughs) in this call is that really you have to invest long-term in this. And so you're consistently, you train your brain by doing several things. Like for example, I'll, I'll give the, so Conscious mind, subconscious mind. Subconscious mind is a file cabinet. Conscious Mm -hmm. mind is the one that goes out and gets that information. The problem with the subconscious mind is that it doesn't label folders and it doesn't have any value judgments. Okay. Okay. The conscious mind is great. It goes to the subconscious mind to get information, but its problem is it has no memory itself. It's got to go to the subconscious mind mm. to get that information. So if you think about it this way, hmm. 
my teenagers are acting up. <laughs> my son won't come home at curfew time. Right. Okay. You have a classic conscious mind, subconscious mind problem here. You're thinking about it and your conscious mind is mulling it over what it's doing. It sends the message out to the subconscious mind. What are some possible solutions I could use to get my son to come home by curfew? Mm -hmm. okay? Subconscious mind may go out. And, and oftentimes what ends up happening, it's, it's your dominant thought that creates this. That's the, that's what sends the the, uh, the 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 little spider out to get it, is yeah. your dominant thought. So <laughs> right. as you're going to bed, if your dominant thought is, what am I going to do about my son? In the morning, you're going to wake up and you're going to have an idea. The problem is that idea that first day may be, just kill him. <laughs> because you know what? The subconscious mind has no filter that it puts things through. And so you say, thank you. I really appreciate that. But that's not a that's not an acceptable alternative. Go back and find some more. Right. And eventually it's going to come up with something that it heard on the Oprah program 16 years ago. Mm -hmm. It's going to come up with something that you read. It's going to come up with an experience that your dad had when you came home late. It's going to come up with all these things and start delivering them because those are the file file folders that are that are labeled. Now, there's still a bunch of stuff out there that you'll probably never get. But how you label files is you consciously think about the information as you bring it in. Hmm. So as you go out and drive someplace, the next time you drive, you're going to pass a whole bunch of stores with logos on them. You're going to pass some signs advertising things. You're going to pass some street signs and things like that. You're not going to notice 90% of it. Those are all unlabeled folders in your brain. They're there. They're just unlabeled. So one of the challenges that I have is that I'm not very good with street names. So my wife says they're on Kinsey Street and Third, and I say, well, "Give me a give me a landmark." And yes, that's say, what I say. Give me a landmark. It's by this pizza place. Okay, I know exactly where I'm going. Right? <laughs> I'm the, because I'm that's what's way. labeled. Yes. And right. so your process is hmm. applying labels to the things that are important, and the way you apply a label is you think about it when it comes in. So you need to reward your subconscious mind when it gives you an idea by continuing to think about it. You'll probably notice that your brain comes up with the best ideas when you're showering, yep. mowing the lawn, yep. going to sleep or driving four times when yep. you can't write them down. You can't record yes. it. Right. Why? Because you just gave it freedom to go give you information. Hmm. And so it does. And so what happens is while you're standing there in the shower, you got to say, great idea, subconscious. I love that one. Let me think about it some more. What you're doing now is you're building that label and you're hardwiring it further deeper in your brain. And I know the brain scientists right now are saying, Don, this is not the way it works. <laughs> but but this is the way my mind is classifying it. And, and it sort of works for me. I'm just putting labels on files by consciously thinking about it. So now I have a big database out there. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing is the bigger your database, think about, AI right now. Okay. Yeah. There's things yep. that are trained on 17 million. There's things that are trained on 170 million. There are things trained on 1.7 billion. The 1.7 billion is chat GPT four. Yep. The, the 117 is chat GPT 3.5. And I haven't got the numbers right, but it's the difference. That's why chat GPT four is so much better mm -hmm. than 3.5 because it's trained on a bigger data set. Yep. That's what yep. your job is to fill your brain with a bigger data set that's labeled. Hmm. And then from there, like, how are you deeming what's important? Like you use that word, like what's, what is, what becomes important at that point? Okay. So I have friends that can tell you what the batting average was for <laughs> Willie Mays in X year. Yeah. My brother's that this is way. <laughs> not important to me. 
I could care less. I can't even tell you when Willie Mays played. And is he a baseball player, right? <laughs> He's a- okay, so <laughs> it's, it's like, it's not important to me. Yeah. But I have areas in my life, marketing, mm. business, entrepreneurship. Yep. Those kinds of things are important. So mm. whenever I see an amazing ad, I think about that ad so I can put a label mm. on it so that later on I can come back to that ad. Hmm. Whenever I see an amazing email come in, I literally put it in a swipe file. I have this huge swipe file of amazing emails and 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 landing pages and sales pages and videos and things like that. They're all in my big database, not in my brain, because I know that my brain can't handle that. But if I need it, I can just go in and search yep. and 52 examples of a great landing page for this particular subcategory come up. Oh, that's great. Again, you're ta- you're building databases and accessing that database. That's why I could do that magazine because I build a database of all the people who are in cotton in the United States. It right. took effort to do that. And I didn't even tell you about the, you know, I've got another 30 minute spill about how you go about <laughs> building that database, which I didn't right. go into. But that's the process. Goodness. So then you're accessing that. And then the, the key thing is, as you access it, you have to be willing to allow it to give you back, just kill them kind of idea, <laughs> because your brain's right. going to do that. And you will get a lot of bad ideas. And you, you right. have to create a brainstorming kind of culture in your own life and in your own culture and your family, yeah. where you can say stupid stuff and people will laugh and you go on. Right. Because unless you get five stupid ideas on the table, you won't come up with the win- with a winning idea. That's great. And having like that filter is a muscle to build at that point of like what's what's coming in and filtering what is and what isn't working. But it's interesting because a lot of people think like, oh, I'm just going to have this one idea and that first idea is going to be the winner. And like, that's just going to be the one and I don't have to even like, but it's just, there's so much of that of like testing and trying and it is a long-term, like this is something that I'm going to build and build and build. And then doing that over time and building that muscle, all of a sudden, like you find something that right. is magic. And, and part of it is a series of choices. It's like, hmm. I during the Super Bowl, yeah, I go and get a sandwich during the game. <laughs> I want to make sure I'm watching the commercials because the best marketers in the world are, are going to try to run commercials during the Super Bowl. For sure. Right. So you, you make choices to do things. So I read for at least an hour every day. Okay. And I mark my books. Mm-hmm. Okay, I buy a lot of highlighters. Why? Because every time I mark it, I just put a label on that file. Mm. Mm-hmm. What are you reading right now? Okay, so I read nonfiction. Okay, I read fiction. Excuse me, I fiction. read fiction every single day. You do. There's a awesome. reason for that. Yeah. This is another thing that's poo-pooed by the world. But you yeah. know what? If I want to have an active imagination, I need yep. to go spend life in other worlds, other times, other things, uh, you know, those kinds of things. I listen to podcasts about history and things like that, as opposed to business podcasts. Yep. Because I want to put, how did King Henry VIII... How did Anne? How did Anne Boleyn win King Henry VIII? That's marketing. Hmm. How did Jane Seymour win over Anne Boleyn? You know, to get Henry to kill Anne Boleyn, so literally kill her. Here's an example. Just, <laughs> okay, so that she could become queen. And there were two totally different strategies. Anne Boleyn played hard to get. 
don't touch me, do this, mm. but I'm going to be opinionated. I'm going to chew you out that you didn't give me gold. I'm going to do all these things. And Jane Seymour just sat back mm. and was quiet and subservient and quietly said, no, you got to marry me if you want to touch me, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And, and they're both marketing, but you know, if you can't get that out of the things you're reading, you're not doing. So right now I'm, I'm reading uh, Brandon Sanderson, uh, who is really an amazing author. If you've mm -hmm. never read him, I'm reading a book called from six figures to seven figures, which is okay. wonderful. Yep. Uh, you know, I, I could go, go through a whole list of, of all the things uh, th that are out there. I don't, I, what I do is I let my friends tell me which books are important, nonfiction. Uh -huh. Yeah. Which means I don't usually read the nonfiction book right when it comes out. Mm-hmm. Because I'm going to let them screen whether it's worth <laughs> reading or not. Huh, I like that. <laughs> I okay? like that. So yeah. I'm usually reading the book six months to a year after everyone else is. Interesting. And going from there. Gosh. What will happen is, you know, somebody does a great marketing campaign and everybody's talking about hundred, you know, $100,000 offers, that book. Okay. Yeah. Right. All right. Here it is. It comes out. Have you noticed anybody's talking about it now? Hmm. <laughs> Almost nobody. Here's what I keep hearing. Is my friends keep calling me and saying, "Don, you can write a three times better book than that one." Mm -hmm. It's funny. I'm I'm similar. Like this book, that's it pops. It's hot. I do that with like movies as well. I do that with like a lot of stuff. It's like I don't. I'm just gonna I'll sit back a little bit. That's so funny. This is this has been one of my favorite conversations. Truly, Don. This is so so engaging. So interesting. Like I we I there's so many more questions that I want to have you back on. Um, I, and I'm happy I, to do that. I love you, telling stories. This is so, this is this is a, a real blast. And I I want to just wrap with really just like exploring sort of your like personal philosophy almost at this point. Like with the career that you've had, the like the the level that you've gotten to as just an entrepreneur. Like what's what's driving you now? How are you defining success at this stage? Like what is it that gets you rocking and rolling every day? So at a younger age, I had these amazingly high millions and millions and millions of dollars that I wanted to have in the bank. Of course. And I wanted to have million, you know, my, my goal was to affect, to uh, help a million people make a million or more dollars in online sales. Wow. Right. right? So yeah. pretty lofty goals. Absolutely. And what I discovered is I don't have to help a million people reach a million dollars in sales. What I have to do is help a thousand five hundred people who will then each help a hundred people each. Mm. And we get to a million five. <laughs> okay. So what I learned <laughs> is the power of leverage in this process. I also learned the power of free. So if you go look at facebook.com slash Don Crowther social, there's 800 videos that I put about <laughs> out there on how to do online marketing. I'm putting, I'm in the process of putting them all up on YouTube. So Don Crowther on YouTube. Yep. 
and putting those up and uh, and I get notes every day that this one helped me so much because what I've what I've done is I've gone from focusing on me and making money and mm-hmm. creating my own personal impact on the world to I just want to help people mm. have an amazing life. And that's beautiful. And the more I do that, the more I get the clients who I really want. Yeah. Because one of the things that happens in entrepreneurship is that there are clients you do not want. Yes. Who yes. want you to help them do stuff <laughs> for them. Right. And I discovered over the years, I don't want to work with people who don't have my values. If all they want to do is come in, take a bunch of money, even if they have to cheat to get there, mm-hmm. they're not my people. Right. If they want to do, there's there's a bunch of people that I could define as not my people. And what I've learned is go after your people. That's great. Serve. And when you serve, your people will find you. I love that. I've been reflecting on this recently, like turning 26 in February, like the first five years of my career from 20 to 25. And like what was driving me then was very, um, it was like I was running from something is what it felt like. Like I was running from the scarcity and like the money sort of like driving me and that's what it was. And then it's not like that still isn't there, that voice, like that's, you know, the the engine is still not there, but it's almost like I'm now stepping towards like what I am inspired to do or intending to do or serving from like a, not necessarily what it, making it all about me, but like rather than having certain revenue goals for my company, it's like, am I doing a good job for my clients? Like, am I serving at the highest level? Am I doing what's best for them? And it's led to just like peace and fulfillment and harmony and just like falling back in love with what I get to do, which is just like essentially what you're at after in the first place. Right. Right. Very good. I I love that about you. (laughs) Good for you. (laughs) Thank you, Don. I appreciate it. Any, any final lasting, I mean, again, I think there's going to be a version two that we'll have to do at this point, but anything like that you want to leave anybody that's up and coming as an entrepreneur, people that are, you know, um, navigating today's world. What's uh, just any any lasting final thoughts? The more you love people, the better you'll be. And I'm saying that from a person who um, doesn't have those skills come naturally. I'm uh, an introvert. Yep. I'm a person who uh, it's like the day they taught how to make friends. I clearly was not there that day. <laughs> uh, you know, so many of the social skills that are out there, it's like I, I, I literally don't have them. I sit, I stand in awe and watch people like you walk through a crowd and do all, you know, and everybody's like, Noah, you're so cool, and I'm, I'm sitting back going, Wow, can I do that? I don't know how. But the the thing I've learned over the years is. Even if they don't love you because you don't have the social skills to do that, if you love them, they will know it mm-hmm. and it will work for your good. Mm. It's giving to get. Yeah. Going all the way back to what we've been talking about. When yep. you focus on them, yes, that's loving them. When you focus on choosing the products that they want, that's loving them. When you focus on serving mm. them, that's loving them. Wow. When you focus on them, not you, you get better. 
So I guess that's what I'd say. That's fantastic. Let's leave it there. We'll have to have you back on because there's many more stories that I want to explore with you. I know you touched on a little bit, but yeah, where can people find more information about you? So doncrowler.com is yep. my uh, my website. And then Facebook and, and YouTube are primarily the places um, and go from there. I love it. Don, again, you're, this was so, so great of a conversation. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so very much. Anybody that's watching on YouTube, make sure you leave us a like. If you're listening on Spotify or podcast platforms, leave us a review. To all my builders out there, I salute you, and I will see you guys in the next episode. Thanks, Noah.